Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Pros. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Chapter 11, The Sorting Hat's New Song. Harry did not want to tell the others that he and Luna were having the same hallucination, if that was what it was. So he said nothing about the horses as he sat down inside the carriage and slammed the door behind him. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, Dolores Umbridge gives a strange speech in this chapter. And you and I have both heard strange speeches, so we're going to talk a little bit about Umbridge's speech and some weird speeches that we've heard in our lives in today's Every Flavored Bean conversation, which, everyone, you can get that if you sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. And remember to review us on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe for ad-free episodes. Matt, you are telling today's story on the theme of blame. What story do you have for us? So, Vanessa, I grew up with two brothers. I still have two brothers. I grew up with them, and I still have them. (laughs) And there's a fairly large age gap between both my brothers. I'm the middle son. My older brother's five years older than me. My younger brother's five years younger than me. And that meant that, like, you know, often we were interested in different things, like, especially my older brother and my younger brother. My older brother was 15 when my younger brother was five. Like, they didn't really have a lot of crossover in interest. But I was the in-between where I was just close enough to either one that I could reasonably play with and interact with them. And so I was often 
most likely to be getting into trouble because I was, you know, I could have played with anybody. <laughs> One time in particular, I remember it was the middle of winter. It was a Michigan winter, right? And so winter it was pretty cold and snowy outside. And and if you keep people inside, they get restless and they want to be active. And we had an unfinished basement. And my older brother Dan and I were roughhousing in the basement. That's where the pantry was, and that's where like some fairly unused exercise equipment was. And my mom had a sewing table and the laundry room. It was, but it was cement floors. It was pretty, you know, unfinished. And we were playing soccer because it's 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 winter and we need to be active. And so we were like downstairs, like mm-hmm. running around around tables and like kicking balls and creating a lot of commotion. And just kind of sort of waiting for the time when the noise would get to be so alarming upstairs that someone would call down and tell us to cut it out, right? Right. And so we're doing this, and I kicked the ball towards my brother, who was close to what we had called the goal, which I think was, you know, a pile of clothes or something. And my brother was reaching to try to block it, right? And it was a high shot because I was trying to get the upper corner of the, of the, <laughs> the goal, right? And my brother's hand went up, and <laughs> as his hand went up, he hit, uh, like you know, like the sheet metal air duct above his head. And he hit it pretty hard, and it created this, like, really loud gong noise. And just the way air vents work, you know, that thing goes through all the house. You know, if we had whispered a message mm-hmm. into that, it would have carried to the upstairs floors. So this l- very loud bang resonated all through the upstairs floors of the house. <laughs> and immediately, like, we heard, you know, the boom, boom, boom. Like, someone upstairs was moving from someplace to the basement, and my mom came down the stairs. Oh, no. And she saw my brother, like, It's stand- like a horror movie. Yeah, that's Get right. out of the house. <laughs> That's right. So my mom came down the stairs and you're like, I'm in one corner of the basement and my brother is standing with his arms up right by the air duct. Right. And so my mom was like, you know, Danny, what are you doing? Like, stop roughhousing. And he got into trouble and she, and got mad at him and she went upstairs. And I felt bad because like he got in trouble and like she didn't even look at me. And I was the one with the unstoppable shot into the upper goal. Like, I, you can't really blame my brother. Sure for reaching for this shot. So I remember I went upstairs and my mom, I think she was paying bills at her desk because uh, I remember walking up and she had her checkbook out and she was signing things. And I said, I, we call my bro- my older brother Onichan, which is Japanese for older brother. I was like, I said, it wasn't Onichan's fault. It was me because I kicked the ball and that's the reason that he hit the air duct. So you can't blame him. And my mom went and she called my older brother up from who was still downstairs and he came up and she said this is what this is what Matthew told me is this true and he said yes and my mom said I'm sorry I shouldn't have blamed you <laughs> and that was the end of the story and and I remember it because like on the one hand I remember like it felt like an important thing in that moment like my mom got mad at my brother and it felt like something we ought to share like it didn't it was one of mm-hmm. the first times I wasn't just happy to escape blame yeah it was, I think, one of the first memories I have in my life where I was like, oh, I need to shoulder some responsibility here. And I also felt sort of vindicated is maybe the wrong word, but rewarded in taking that action because my mom also shared some blame, right? Like she heard the story and verified it with my brother and said to him, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have blamed you. And so she took some blame for also reacting too quickly and not asking questions. I'm not sure I remember a time before then when I saw my mom or my dad coming to us and accepting responsibility for something they had done, which they regretted doing, right? And so it was this situation where, like, there was this kind of impulsive urge to blame one person, especially maybe the older child who should have been responsible enough to not be playing soccer in the basement, but where we were able to, like, think about it and talk about it and share the responsibility and blame in a more complicated and careful way. Matt, I love that story. And the other thing that's interesting to me 
is that I want to blame winter. <laughs> right? It's like this wouldn't have happened in the summer. Uh, you guys were technically doing something wrong, but nobody was really doing anything wrong. I know that it sounds ridiculous and I'm a little bit kidding. Yeah. But in this chapter, there's so much blame going around and it's actually Voldemort's fault, yeah. right? Like a lot. I mean, Umbridge is Umbridge. Yeah. But I do think that we have this instinct as people to blame ourselves or others when really it's a bad circumstance that we're yeah. in. I mean, as I thought more about it, like I think that's probably more of what was going on when I came upstairs. You know, I have kids now. You have kids, Vanessa. Like, my brother was five years older than me. Like, he probably should have known not to play soccer in the basement. So it probably actually was his fault. And who knows what my mom was doing. If she was paying bills, maybe money was short and so she was stressed or whatever. I mean, that happened in our house. Like, if I came upstairs, maybe it just kind of provided this moment of pause. My mom was like, it's winter. These kids are cooped up. They're running around. Nobody got hurt and nothing was damaged. I didn't have to get so mad. Right? I'm, I'm thinking that's possibly what happened. It wasn't just like, oh, the truth was revealed, and so now I don't need to be as mad. <laughs> you know, as we visit Etymology Corner, the word blame actually comes from the Greek word through Latin, the Greek word blasphemeo, which is the same word as to blaspheme or to profane, which means like to slander or to defame or malign. Like it's to like speak ill of someone who doesn't deserve it or to profane something which is sacred. That's where blame comes from. And I think that's interesting because it might be useful to think about the distinction between something like blame and responsibility or blame and guilt, because I think there is a subtle difference like between just like taking the blame for something and or blaming someone and like determining that they are responsible or guilty, because there is something like accusatory about blame. There's something about saying, you know, it's your fault. You did this, which the root of blasphemy suggests and points to. Oh, that's fascinating. That is a juicy etymology. Vanessa, you're going to start us off with our 30-second recap this week. Yes. Three, two, one, go. So they arrive at Hogwarts, and it's the first feast, and Dumbledore is like, Filch is going to torture you for various things, whatever, tuck in. And then Umbridge is like, him, him. And she gives a speech in which she's like, progress is bad, and I'm here to stop it. Also, where's Hagrid? Um, and then they go up to the common room, the, they go to their dorm rooms, and Dean is like, my mom says that I shouldn't believe you. No, Seamus, sorry. Seamus is like, my mom says that I shouldn't believe you. And Harry's like, well, I hate you. And Ron's like, I'm going to get you in trouble. And it's tense. That was great. I think your summary of the argument was, yeah. was perfect. Spot on. Actually. Th thank you. Spot on. Yeah. That was a great summary. <laughs> thank you. It is your turn. Yes. To fill in some gaps. Can you mention Neville? I'll try. I, I can't promise it. <laughs> okay. okay. On your mark. Get set. Go. So they arrive at Hogwarts and Luna's like, don't worry, Harry. I see the creepy horses too. And then they go in and uh, and where's Hagrid? And they don't know where Hagrid is. And someone else is sitting there. And then uh, uh, they have a feast and because there are no speeches now. But then they start to have speeches. And then Umbridge instead gets up and gives a speech. And they're like, what the heck is this speech? And then they, they um, Ron and Hermione go to take the first years. And then uh, Neville and, and Harry go up. And Neville knows the password. And they go in. And then Seamus is like, you're, you're the worst. And uh, the other guy is like, no, he's OK. And I like West Ham. And then there's a big fight. And I was like, you're okay, too, I think my grandma says. The West Ham detail was what clinched it. So, Vanessa, one of the interesting things about this chapter, specifically with respect to the theme of blame, is that we have, like, a meta-commentary 
upon the nature of Hogwarts and the pedagogical aspirations and aims of Hogwarts. Like, this is something that, you know, since you started this podcast with Casper, you have been, we have been talking about, like, taking a step back from Hogwarts and looking at it kind of critically. Like, is this, should they be doing this? Is it right to do it this way? And I think this is the first time a character within this series of novels actually takes that stance towards the school. And so taking our cue, the sorting hat, (laughs) is taking a step back and say, let's talk about Hogwarts. Let's talk about what this educational model is and maybe what it generates because we are at risk, right? The the wizarding world is under threat, very kind of maybe politically or diplomatically. The Sorting Hat doesn't name the threat. It just kind of speaks generally about divisiveness and like the threat to the wizarding world and to the world in general will only be met by a unified response. And there's something about the the fact of Hogwarts beginning on its first night dividing wizards rather than unifying as being part of the root problem here, right? And so the question I have is, I know, you know, we've been doing Havruta for the past several weeks and we're changing our spiritual practice now, but I have a question for you, (laughs) which is, who's to blame? Like, who do you think the Sorting Hat blames when the Sorting Hat is saying, what we need is unity and we have division? Whose fault is it, do you think? I think that the Sorting Hat sort of blames two different groups here. I think first he blames the founders of Hogwarts. At least three out of the four are founders of Hogwarts. He's like, this was badly designed. Four people came together to educate, but they all had different ideas. And this is, right, like, this is like a founding mistake, right? A founder's sin that we are still living under the sort of tyranny of, right? And being an American... I I relate hard to that, where I'm like, we are still mm. dealing with the repercussions of the sins that our founders, you know, sort of designed into our basic fabric. But I also think that the Sorting Hat, and I think rightfully, blames Dumbledore. And there's just <gasps> hot one hot take. And here is where I think that that shines through. The Sorting Hat says, Still I worry that it's wrong, though I must fulfill my duty and must quarter every year. Still I wonder if sorting may not bring the end I fear. Yeah. This could be the Sorting Hat's fate, right? That, like, this is how I'm designed, I absolutely have to. But it's like Dumbledore and McGonagall that bring the hat down every year. And there is a possible yeah. intervention here. So maybe I'm projecting onto the sorting hat and I'm the one that blames Dumbledore. But this is the first time we find out that the sorting hat has to literally quarter them, which means that mm. it's not just that the sorting hat goes down on your head and is like your most authentic self is Gryffindor. It is, well, your most authentic self is Gryffindor, but we don't have enough Slytherins yet, so Slytherin, right? Like, the Sorting Hat is also Mm. doing, like, division and math here. And so, yeah, it seems to me that he is blaming where this comes from, but also the current policies that force him to keep going. Am I reading too much into this? You know, I think you aren't. I mean, the, the verb condemned is pretty straightforward, right? Like, I mean, it could be figurative, but even if that's the figurative term that the Sorting Hat uses here, condemned is a really strong word. Like, I'm condemned to split you into four. It names really clearly what the Sorting Hat thinks is the problem behind the dangers they face. It's something fundamental about the divisiveness in which the school was first built or that arose pretty early on in the history of the school. 
And I think you're right. I think that the folks who have the freedom to change this policy are the current leaders of the school, right? Are primarily Dumbledore, right? And I'm sure McGonagall, if Dumbledore asked her to do something different, would do it, right? So it really is Dumbledore maybe not seeing the danger of this divisiveness. It is interesting that the Sorting Hat doesn't blame himself at all, right? The Sorting Hat isn't like, so this year, put me on all the heads and I'll be like, nope. Right. Yeah. And the sorting hat is complicit. Yeah. But I think that we often don't see ourselves as complicit and are just like, well, the higher ups are actually the ones to blame, which is true. But I don't know. How fun would it be if the sorting hat was just like Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff, Hufflepuff? Yeah. You know, my takes were going to be less heated. I was going to say things like Slytherin or the original founders for being divisive. But that gives too much credit to a past that we can learn from and change, right? Like, I think it would be wrong to suggest that that past doesn't carry some blame for the present, right? That divisiveness is in the origins of the school in the same way you talked about kind of the original sin of colonialism and racism that is the basic to our history as a country. Like, it's no use pretending that past doesn't exist as we plot out a new present and future. But the fact that you have that past isn't an excuse not to change the present or plot a different future, right? And so, yeah, I think you probably can blame the current leadership. I think the hat also does blame these other founders. And I think no founder more so than Slytherin. Yeah. Because Slytherin gives up on the project precisely because his exclusionary policies were that much more exclusionary, right? Like like Ravenclaw is, we want to educate the smartest or whatever, but it's okay if I'm with other houses that are not the smartest. Whereas like at some point, the blood purity ideology is like, no, we cannot even be in the same school as others who are not of this ideology. You know, my own kind of close reading, I noticed in the song that of all the founders, only one is described as good. Good Hufflepuff, Mm -hmm. the Sorting Hat says, right? And I think that that's the other sign, which is like Hufflepuff is the only one that says, I'll educate the lot. Right. And that's, you know, if there were going to be a house system at Hogwarts, and maybe there shouldn't even be a house system, but if there were going to be one... It should be every house educates a lot. It's just random. And then it's right. about community building and not about identifying who is a smart one, who is an ambitious one, who is a courageous one, and who is none of them, right? right. Like, just like let's community build because community building is a project that we should be engaged in, but not build our identities around these exclusionary or divisive sort of identities or attributes. Right. I mean, the other thing, you know, I'm just now thinking who I blame. And it is interesting because. I can imagine these conversations and it's like, well, we already have the common rooms, right? Like there is infrastructure built in yep. and all that does is make creativity like two seconds harder. It isn't actually yep. to blame, right? Like you could have years one and two in one common room and then like move them. I, like there are all sorts of other ways to handle this. But I do think that sometimes at least people who don't really want to change have all sorts of infrastructural reasons to blame culprits that they can say, like, look, it's not me, right? Like, McGonagall put me on this chair, so I have to sort you. And we already have that common rooms as is. This is the structure of the castle. This is literally built into the castle. So this is just how it has to be. There's always someone else to blame. And I don't want people to walk around blaming themselves for everything. But I do want people asking themselves, in what ways am I complicit? And can I resist the complicity? Yeah. 
I mean, that's a way to think about the founding of the school, too, because I think like the fundamental basic, the most vile and violent exclusion is Slytherin's pure blood policy, right? But there's also the fact that the other three founders were like, okay, you can do that with your house. Sure. Right. right? Like that's, there are other three other wizards there who could have been like, actually, that's not going to fly. If you want to name some attribute, fine. Like we're going to, unless you're Hufflepuff. Those things are also probably wrong. Right. But they were also okay with one of the founders of the school just having a blood purity policy, which signals, I mean, it reminds you of somebody like John Adams, who's one of our founding fathers and very close to where we live. You know, he, he lived and was opposed to slavery, but also kind of not super active about condemning others practice of slavery, right? And that's that's part of the problem. I love that point, Matt. It is absolutely disgusting that the other three were like, okay. And I think that this often comes down to niceness. I think people are like, I don't want to make any waves and just like yeah. let things slide. I also just want to say, I just want to put in a plug for Ravenclaw being like, only the smart ones. Like that is, has a necessary cultural bias as to what you think smart it. I don't, I hate that too. Yep. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Prose. Casper, I just got a wonderful, wonderful haircut. It looks so good. Thank you. I feel great with it. But I cut off over a foot of hair, and that means my long hair was sort of pulling my curls in one way. And now that I have short hair, I need a totally different hair care routine. Mm. Luckily, pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. And so I used the review and refine feature, and I was like, yes, I still want vegan hair care products. Yes, I still want to smell like a lavender field, (laughs) but my hair is no longer long. It is short to medium length. Please send me a different formula of shampoo and conditioner. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash Harry Potter. So you get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash Harry Potter. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Harry Potter. Another place that I saw blame play out in an interesting way, Matt, 
is in this fight between Seamus Dean, Neville, Ron, and Harry. This is the first time that we've seen this whole boy dormitory get into it. And what happens is that Seamus is telling everyone about their summer and how his mom almost didn't let him come back to Hogwarts for the school year. And Seamus blames Harry. And Seamus' mom blames Dumbledore, right? Seamus is like, it's your fault, Harry. You won't tell us what really happened. You won't talk about it. And therefore, like, I don't know who to believe. And the Daily Prophet says that it's your fault and Dumbledore's fault. And my mom says that. And so in the absence of information, I blame you. I blame you for this discord that's happening. And Harry is like, well, I blame people like your mom for, like, not believing me. And then Neville steps in, and Neville, I think, nails it. He quotes his grandma, and he's like, Grandma always said that Voldemort was going to come back. And he's like, hey, guys, this isn't about, like, Harry or Seamus' mom. This is about Voldemort. This is Voldemort's fault. And I think that that's so important. I think often we fight on these smaller levels when really it's like, well, it's actually this the system's fault or this other person's fault who's, like, not in the room. It shouldn't be decided on this level, right? Like, it shouldn't be a dorm room fight. We should all be blaming Voldemort. I think that's so right. And I think your reading of the scene is really brilliant because what's actually going on in this dormitory room, like, maps perfectly on to the divisiveness that the Sorting Hat just described as threatening the school, which is that, like, this is actually how Voldemort operates, like, Voldemort is able to gain power by causing division and causing people to turn against each other rather than against him, right? Like, that's that's how he's able to make things work. When you can set purebloods against Muggleborn or whatever, right? Like, you can exploit that divisiveness. I don't think Voldemort actually cares about any of this stuff. Voldemort just wants to be immortal and have all the power. Like, Voldemort will use whatever polemic or rhetoric is necessary to have all the power for himself. And pure blood ideology is just a super convenient way to make a bunch of people hate and weaken each other so that he can take all that power and exploit it right and like it's happening in this room and because of neville's grandmother they see right through it they're like oh actually the source of the evil is voldemort and voldemort is having exactly the effect he wants to have upon us because two friends now are at each other's necks right and unwilling to work together against the greater evil because this greater evil has manipulated them into dividing, right? And right. yeah, and I until you raised this reading, I hadn't really seen how neatly this final scene and this final fight maps onto the divisiveness that the that the sorting head is complaining about. And this is the kind of thing that I'm really scared of with climate change. I'm worried that we're going to like fight over clean water, right? And be like, "No, this is my water. No, it's my water." When really it's government's fault for, like, not intervening more now, right? And we're going to come up with these stories as to, you know, why it's wrong that you're using this water. And, right, like, it, and we do this all the time now where, like, power structures make it about these teeny tiny fights where they can turn people against each other to blame one another so that the focus isn't, you know, on the actual troublemakers, right? It's why... The studios were blaming the WGA strikers, right? Like, it's you guys asking for too much and, like, wanting to sow discord within the union. And that's what's so powerful about unions, right, is, like, no, we collectively have decided that actually you're the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's in the name, right? Union. It's exactly what the sorting hat's asking for. Yeah. Right. 
So let's let's talk about one more like situation I thought was interesting with respect to blame. You know, when I gave the etymology of blame is linked to blasphemy, I suggested that, that you know we might want to take some time drawing distinctions between something like blame and associated ideas like guilt or responsibility or accountability. Like when you do the blame for something, is that different than when you're guilty of something or accountable for it or responsible for it or whatever? And I think there's a scene at the beginning of the chapter where we might start to think about this or might help illuminate some of these distinctions. So Harry is in the carriage going to Hogwarts with Ron, Hermione, Luna, and Ginny. And, you know, they note that Hagrid wasn't there collecting the first years, like Hagrid usually is. And Luna's like, boy, he's a really terrible teacher, right? And immediately, Harry, Ron, and Ginny are like, no, how dare you say that? He's the best teacher ever. And then, you know, long pause, Hermione says, yeah, I guess he's a pretty good teacher too. And Luna says, really, everybody in Ravenclaw just thinks he's pretty terrible, right? And it made me think about how, you know, Ginny and Harry and Ron all love Hagrid. So does Hermione, but they love Hagrid and their love for him, their friendship toward him means that they are actually incapable of blaming him for what is probably not the best instruction. You know, we've read the books, not always the best instructional decisions, pedagogical decisions from Hagrid. Hermione loves Hagrid too, but you can tell that she knows that he's not a great teacher. No, he's but not. But her love for him makes her reluctant to blame him. And so it makes me, made me think about like our willingness to blame someone often depends on how much we like them. Like they're really, we're usually really willing to excuse people who we like for the mistakes they make or for their shortcomings. Whereas those we don't know, or especially those we dislike, we're really eager to just cast blame. Yeah, I, the eager to cast blame for sure. As soon as I don't like someone, I'm like, you you probably created all the world's suffering. <laughs> and it's probably all to do with you. I do think it's so interesting when like a parent, you know, can lovingly see the fault in their child and be like, well, they probably are disruptive in class versus when a parent yeah. is like, uh-uh, my kid is perfect. Yeah, yeah. I just think that we all need to cultivate this within ourselves, this ability, this like Hermione ability to love someone and be absolutely loyal to them and be like, yeah, she's not a great teacher. Yeah. And like, that doesn't mean that his gifts don't lie elsewhere or that I want him to get fired, especially in the case of Hagrid, because we know that, again, the person to blame here is Voldemort yep. <laughs> with a little bit of Dumbledore complicity that like Hagrid's whole life was completely derailed by this false charge and being falsely imprisoned twice. And I wonder if the key is when we love someone not to blame them, but to bring some distance into the love yeah. to see them with a little clearly. Yeah. But yeah, Luna's just like, no, he's a bad teacher. I blame him and his personality and his lack of planning yeah. and his like unfailing love of monsters and the fact that he doesn't understand what's appropriate to teach us. And without any goodwill, you can very easily just see someone's faults and see them as entirely the reason that something is the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, as you were talking, I was reminded, I think it was the last time we talked on the podcast, you were talking about how it, it's important to have lots of different friends who you have lots of different relationships with. Because, like, you know, I have certain friends that I go to when I need them to tell me I didn't do anything wrong, because I know that they will say that. And I have other friends I go to who will be like, uh, you know, that was interesting, but maybe you could have made this choice, right? And you need them all in your life, because sometimes you just need the support and the loyalty because you're feeling kind of unsure or uncertain. And so other times you need, like, the person to say, like, yeah, you can do better than this, and I can help you do better than this. Right. And I'm thinking about just 
these group of Gryffindors and how much they love Hagrid. And he has this kind of community around him. And it makes sense that they would not react the same way as the Ravenclaws who don't know or love Hagrid the same way, the way we do and the way he deserves. This week we are doing Florilegia, the Christian sacred reading practice. And this is when you and I each pick a sentence from the chapter that sparkled up at us. We're going to give a little bit of context about our sentences and then talk about why they sparkled up at us. And then we are going to put them in conversation with each other. What sentence did you bring from this chapter? So my sentence comes from right near the end of the chapter after Harry has had this fight in his dormitory with Seamus and Harry's falling asleep. and. It's what Harry's thinking as he goes to bed. And the line is this. They'll know we're right in the end, thought Harry miserably, as Ron got into bed and extinguished the last candle in the dormitory. The reason I chose the line is, like, it's such a unsatisfying moral victory to know that he will be vindicated by future events. Right? Like, well, he doesn't want to be right. Yeah. And he's telling himself they'll know we're right in the end as like a salve for himself because he's had such a miserable evening in the dormitory. But like he hates it because because the fact that they're right just means people are going to suffer. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be right. He wants things to be different. And there's something about the imagery of Ron putting the last candle out in the dormitory. Like it's just something about, I don't know, maybe about a loss of hope or about like, I don't know. There's something about the imagery of Ron putting out the candle when everyone's still fighting and still angry at each other. And the only comfort Harry has is that he's going to be right about something he wishes were not true. Yeah. That's a particular emotion, right? When you know you're right and you hate it. (laughs) I think, yeah. Yeah. So I I saw that. That's why I chose that line. What's your line, Vanessa? My line is part of the Sorting Hats new song. And it is about our beloved Helga Hufflepuff. And we've already gotten this line that, like, she she took the lot. But this is... A second line about her, and it says, she took the rest and taught them all she knew. And I think sometimes when you're, like, getting the leftovers of something, you're like, nah, come on, guys. And there's this feeling of, like, even if I do the bare minimum, it's more than they would have gotten otherwise, right? Like, these are students who just, like, wouldn't have gotten an education at Hogwarts if it wasn't for good old Helga. They would have just been rejected. And instead she was like, no, I'm going to take each and every one of you and I am going to teach you to the best of my ability. I'm going to teach you everything I know. Mm -hmm. And that actually it is like the most marginalized people who deserve the most. And I love that Helga seems to have intuitively understood that and is just like, It will be my joy to teach you all, and I will give you every last drop of what I have. Yeah, and it also speaks to the limits of it, right? It's just all that she knew. They don't get educated by Slytherin or Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. So, like, there's something beautiful about this, but there's also something a little bit sad about it. Okay, so, Matt, we now put these lines in conversation with one another. So, here we go. They'll know we're right in the end, thought Harry miserably, as Ron got into bed and extinguished the last candle in the dormitory. She took the rest and taught them all she knew. Hmm. I mean, this implies that they're like all these people who aren't ready to go to bed. 
Yeah. Or like aren't ready for the fight to be over yeah. and are like, okay, guys, come with me and like we'll, we will actually talk about this yeah. rather than just extinguishing the last candle. That's what came to mind to me. What about you? Yeah. I mean, what has me thinking is just sort of like how, you know, we have these guys who are fighting each other and who are more interested in, in fighting each other than doing anything else. And Hufflepuff is the one who's educating everybody else. It's almost like Hufflepuff doesn't have time for even the divisiveness, like the, the preoccupations with who's right and who's wrong and why we're right. It's just beside the point, which is like, we, we're here to learn. I'm here to teach and let's get to it. And mm-hmm. folks who are going to waste all their energy deciding who's in and who's out are the only people I can't teach, right? That's that's like mm-hmm. the boundary for Hufflepuff's community or for Helga's is like, if you can't just get over it and learn with us, then you're the only ones who won't be able to, to access this knowledge. There is something about that, just something about the wisdom of Hufflepuff and also the kind of the moral posture, the moral stance of the Hufflepuff house emerges clearly when we think about this dormitory argument as an example in microcosm of the larger problem that the Sorting Hat has described. Yeah, I love that. So now, Matt, we will read them in the other order. And here we go. She took the rest and taught them all she knew. They'll know we're right in the end, thought Harry miserably, as Ron got into bed and extinguished the last candle in the dormitory. Oh, my God. This is like if Harry was a Hufflepuff and is thinking about the other three houses and is like, they're going to know that we were right to teach everyone. Hmm. And it's going to be too late. They will have missed out on it. I mean, that also maps onto the larger thing, which is like Hufflepuff was the one who was right all along. And everyone's going to have to learn their hard way. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Which is miserable, which is, you know, which is going to cause a lot of suffering. And if they had just done it Hufflepuff's way to begin with, they might have avoided a lot of this. Yeah. I like that reading. How does Hufflepuff see this clearly when other people don't, you know? I'm always curious about that. Yeah, I wish we knew more about Helga Hufflepuff. I know, a mystic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt. This was a great spiritual practice. Thanks, Vanessa. I love Florilegia. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Ava. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. I wanted to offer a blessing today for Molly Weasley. In starting in this book and throughout the rest of the series, she has too large of a caregiving burden upon her shoulders. She has to care for her family, but also for the entire order. And I also wanted to offer a blessing for my mother, who also has too large of a caregiving burden on her shoulders. Um, my dad has Parkinson's disease, and while he's in reasonably good health for now, that won't last forever and she also is primary caregiver for all four of my grandparents who are all in or near their 80s so eventually she will be caregiving for five people if we are blessed enough that they live a few more years and so i feel like my mom is like molly weasley and that there's nothing she can do but watch the hands on her clock get closer and closer to mortal peril and she doesn't doesn't want my sister and me to help with this burden she is very committed to them and to her family and doesn't want us to restructure our lives around um this burden that's that's pressing upon her so this is just a blessing for all the people and especially the women who caregive for their family members without complaint, even though it's hard and it's too much to ask of them. And yet the world is asking it of them and they rise to the occasion. And I feel like that's really what Molly is doing here. Thanks, Ava, for your voice memo. My heart really goes out to your family and for all your mom is carrying. And, you know, while I understand her not wanting you and your sister to feel the responsibility she has and if they you know you can't directly help her i hope there are indirect ways that you can still support her and take care of her and make other things she might have to carry lighter or just to feel loved by you and supported by you i'm sure will, will mean a lot to her yeah and it's it sounds like you are very loving to your mom and so i just want to acknowledge that that's part of it and you are supporting your mom i have no doubt Now's the time in the episode when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Ronald Wire, 71, a complicated but loved dad. Emily Shaw, 84, a loving wife, mother, and grandmother, a feminist, public servant, an avid amateur photographer nicknamed Grandma Camera. Tiana Friesen, 21, a cowgirl, the best niece who was so loved. Chris Boyer, a brilliant scientist who loved rock climbing with his daughter, Lucia. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them.
Now it's time for blessings. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? You know, we talked a lot about her, but Helga Hufflepuff, a visionary of her time, someone who just believed in education. So can't get enough blessings. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I do. I want to bless Dean Thomas just because Dean is fairly noncommittal in this fight in the dormitory, although he's also he seems uninclined to blame Harry very much. And I've been that person when you're in the middle of a fight between roommates and you're just kind of like, I need to not be in a fight right now. Like, and and I'm going to not take sides as much as I can <laughs> so as to not be in a fight. And that gets really hard when people need you to take sides, right? And I'm just like, Dean is navigating this in his West Ham outfit, his West Ham pajamas. Dean is navigating the situation masterfully. So blessings to Dean and everybody with roommates who are fighting. And everyone wearing West Ham pajamas. Next week, we're going to be reading Book 5, Chapter 12, Professor Umbridge, through the theme of context with Casper Turkile. Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have pilgrimages on sale. You can find out about them at NotSorryWorks.com. We had so much fun at our live show last week. Thank you all who came out. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we're distributed by Acast. We want to thank Ava for their voicemail this week. Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Matt Potts, Casper Turkile, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. The sheet metal tubing that you have that carries stuff, you know what I mean? I know what you're talking about. Um, Can you just say the sheet metal tubing? Spies always crawl through it in movies. You know what I mean? Like the ventilation system? Air duct! Air duct!